Hello, everyone. Welcome along to SEN Summer Mornings. I'm Julian King, and it is great to have you along on SEN 1170 AM in Sydney. And via the SEN app, our friends in Queensland will join us in the next hour of the program, which is where you find me today on the beautiful Gold Coast. Not a lot of rain, plenty of rain in Sydney, though. So if you're on the roads today, please drive very carefully. Maximum 24, high chance of showers in Sydney and yeah, Brisbane. We'll get to that in the next hour of the program. My open line number, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy, And that text line, want to hear from you today, 0457 736 736. Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports is going to join me shortly to chat all things cricket. This is a thing, I mean, it's such a one-sided affair, we assume, between Australia and the West Indies. But this whole Smith to opener narrative has added, uh, well, another layer of intrigue and discussion points to the first test, which gets underway in a couple of days' time in Adelaide. Brett Phillips back with the Australian Open well and truly underway. Well done to Chris O'Connell too. Marathon five-setter in this match between Novak and Young Prismich. Well, that a beauty, an absolute beauty. Baratson Duracem, our good mate from Crick Buzz and SEN Cricket, uh, had a nice little sit-down chat with our newest test opener, Steve Smith. We'll hear from him in the next hour of the program, of course. Uh, you know, West Indies... It's interesting, isn't it? I have a bit to say about this in terms of their future in Test cricket and their coach suggesting maybe to salvage Test cricket. This is on the menu again. Four-day tests. And I want to get your thoughts on that on the program today. But Steve Smith, as Andrew Ramsey says, admits that the men's Test team brains trust, not just them, but presumably all Australians just about, struggled to take him seriously when he first suggested that he move to the top of the batting order at the retirement of David Warner. And he said that the prospect of reinventing himself as an opener for the first time in a 13-year career initially came to him in England, funnily enough, during last year's Ashes campaign. And that was when Warner first indicated, you know what, if picked Pakistan, SCG, probably my last hurrah. Then they arrived in Perth for the start of the Pakistan series. He's 34. And that was when he approached the national selection panel, which includes the coach Andrew McDonald, and said, Ronnie, what about me opening the batting, mate? And they go, yeah, right, mate, whatever, whatever you say. So McDonald and Pat Cummins have finalised a batting order. Smith concedes it actually took a fair bit of time before his proposal to shift to the opening role was viewed as a more re- realistic or more viable option. And he said, look, he'd been pushing for it for a few weeks, even before Perth. Floated it randomly in England. Said, you know, I'll do it. I'll put my hand up. After Davey's done, I'm keen to get up there. I don't think the selectors took me seriously until I got to Sydney said, you know what, I'm being genuine here. And then he had another option. And the thing about it is, if Smith had said, no thanks, I don't want to do it, is Bancroft in the side at the moment, given their hesitancy to move Green to the top of the order, despite that it, the fact that it was floated? Fascinating. And he said, now, I'd be keen to get up top and face the new ball. And so, okay, well, well, thanks, Smudge. We'll take that under advisement. We'll see how it all looks. But for me, it was they had to get Green back into the side. That seems to be the overarching narrative around this whole selection debate. Whatever we do, we need to get Green back in the side. And I'll go back to the point I made last week about, I mean, some call it selfish, some call it selfless, depending on which side of the fence you sit. But his decision, Steve Smith, to move to the top of the order or to suggest he be moved to the top of the order, fueled by his previous experience. His tenure at number three, Many he was often at the crease against a near new ball. So he's basically a de facto opener. This is why it's not as silly as it sounds. I floated the numbers and I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but when he comes in in the first two overs, Steve Smith, so say he bats number three, they lose a wick in the first couple of overs, he averages over 100. 
And then when he comes in in the first test over, first 10 overs, he averages near 60. So it's not as ridiculous as some have said it might be. And you know what? He's dared them to bounce him. Kimar, Rachel, Zari, Joseph, and this exciting young Livewire, Shamar Joseph. They have a bit of fire. This will be a really intriguing watch. And he has a lot of names we don't know. We're not expecting them to put up much of a fight, particularly over five days. And I'd be stunned if they go five days. But do you remember back, was it 2010, Kemar Roach, this young live wire, unleashed to the great RT Ponting? Real fire. Maybe we see that from Shamar Joseph. He impressed a Karen Rolton Oval in the CA11 game. And we might have another Amir Jamal on our hands, a diamond from the rough. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. And obviously we want Australia to win, but we want to see competition. We want to see a a decent test match. And then their coach suggests, Andre Coley, that maybe shortening tests from five to four days could help make test match cricket more commercially viable. And, of course, you know, they're hanging by a thread in that format of the game at the moment, the West Indies. Australian cricket leaders have discussed the idea of setting up a global funding pool to ensure test cricket remains viable for more than just a handful of nations. And it would be a crying shame. It would be sad if we didn't see the West Indies in test cricket again, given their heft and their might from the 70s and the 80s. To the point where Aussie fans were cheering them. They wanted them out here every year. You know, there's a thesis in the decline of West Indies cricket at test match level. But it's out of way, you know, set up a pot, distribute to the lesser tier nations so it doesn't become just a game of threes between Australia, England and India, test match cricket. But this concept of four-day tests, it's been discussed for a number of years now. Do you think it has legs? Not saying it's going to be the saviour of test cricket. But if you have four-day test matches, then all these two-test series could then become three-test series because it was a fast that India-South Africa ended up 1-1. There was no deciding test match. A lot would have to go right. Firstly, for four-day tests, you'd have to get 100 overs in a day. That looks nigh impossible at the moment, given the issue with slow over rates. Ian Chappell, and he's usually worth listening to, chaps, addressed this in a really thoughtful piece, I thought, for Crick Info. And he has been a proponent of four-day tests for some time now. He's pretty progressive thinker. He reckons Chappelle, and I've discussed this with him many times, you could easily get 100 overs in a day. And this is what he wrote in Chappell in relation to slow play with test cricket. He says, the pace of play is abysmal. It's slowing every day. Nothing has been done to improve matters. So on the one hand, you've got Ben Stokes genuinely striving to improve the entertainment quotient of test cricket, but he's been undermined by the administrator's lack of initiative. And Stokes, at times, was slow during the Ashes, and his reply was, well, at least they're entertained. It's not enough. So he raises these questions. Why are batters allowed to meet mid-pitch during overs to discuss who knows what without penalty? Why aren't batters informed that etiquette requires them to be in their stance at the crease when a bowler is ready to deliver? Heat extremes accepted. Why allow drinks at times outside of the regular break? Why do glove changes occur so often? You know, surely this is a superstition more than need. Steve Smith's a prolific glove changer. Why aren't boundaries signalled only for four balls that hit the rope rather than allowing pointless replays that look at the whereabouts of a fielder's feet or hands? Have administrators heard... How players shouldn't argue with an umpire? Then why do those same administrators encourage arguing with an umpire by allowing players to review decisions? The number of tactical reviews is growing out of hand and replays are taking too much time. That is true. 
When was the last time the stipulated minimum number of overs were completed in the regular time allocated for a test day's play? Chappelle reckons, well, six hours of cricket is ample for players, for fans, for the viewers, for the administrators. Everything should be done to avoid the game enduring overtime. It is one of the most boring aspects of cricket, and it is infuriating. Cricket needs to operate as a partnership between players and administrators. It's about time that relationship was formalised and the game was allowed to grow accordingly. So I want to get your thoughts on that today. 0457 736 736 and the open line number 1300-01170. Four-day test matches, can you see it? And what do they need to do to speed up play? The glove changes. The mid-pitch chats. You know, not being ready to face up when the bowler's ready. The tactical reviews. All of that kind of stuff. How do you tidy all that up? I want to hear your solutions. Do the big bash last night. Do the strikers. They seem to be timing their run beautifully, although they are going to miss out on Lynn Sanity. But they found a good one, didn't they, in Jake Weatherall? Next man up. Mentality for the strikers. Matt Short has steered his side to the finals now. Well done to him. Quality innings to down the thunder. So they've sealed a spot on the top four, the strikers. He clubbed this 74 knot. Uh, they chased the Thunders 140 with nine wickets in hand, 23 balls to spare at Monica Oval. Sell out too, by the way. So they thumped the Thunder. So now they're going to face either Perth or the Sydney Sixers. This is an elimination final. And they'll take some serious form there. Four straight games, everyone. Lloyd Pope, four for 22, the spinner. Jamie Overton, the quick three for 26. Led a strong bowling night for the strikers. And again, same old story for the Thunder, just a stuttering innings. They've looked about as short or two batters short all season. Pardon the pun. And then Davey Warner dropped a difficult catch off the first ball in the innings. But you have to give a rap to Matt Short. And I'm glad to see that he's been finally recognised for higher honours because his last three seasons of the Big Bash cricket, Matt Short, 1,460 runs at an average of 41.71 with a strike rate of 151.29. Elite figures. And I just saw this this morning, thanks to the Stats Guru Swamp on Twitter. Matt Short is the only player to have four scores of 70-plus in innings in a season. Phenomenal. So in the history of Big Bash, he's the first player to hit four 70-plus scores in one season. He is white hot. White hot. And tonight we've got the Stars at home to the Hurricanes and Sean Marsh. So we had Aaron Finch and the Renegades are going to retire his number five shirt. Socky Steve O'Keefe says, you know what, I think I'm done now for the Sixers, our good friend. And Sean Marsh has announced his retirement from all professional cricket. So the Renegades confirmed that the contest against the Thunder at the showground, the 40-year-old's final match for the club. You know, a real enigma, wasn't he, Sean Marsh? On his day, he just looked a world beater. Gorgeous-looking cricketer. So elegant. You know, dropped recall, dropped recall. Sometimes probably flattest to deceive, but a hell of a player. In, in all formats, at all, I mean, we talk about Warner and the rest of them being all-format players. And I'm not saying he's a Warner's class, because he's not, but he's a prolific all-format player. And those early days for the Perth Scorchers, I remember Tom Moody talking about this. And this was kind of their, the way they operated. I mean, Marsh could strike at sort of 130, you know, run a ball and escalate. He was that kind of player. But in all conditions, hell of a cricketer. Hell of a cricketer. Now to the tennis. The Australian Open had kicked off. Uh, Novak Djokovic, this is a hell of a fight. He looked a bit troubled and he stormed home to defeat this Croatian prodigy, Dino Prismic. Uh, There's a big watch on this kid. He's 18. He was last year's French Open boys champion. 
He's half of Novak's age, <laughs> which suggests how much of a freak Novak Djokovic is. He went down 6-2, 6-7, 6-3, 6-4. He booked his second-round spot, Novak. Still got a bit of that wrist injury. And he will play the winner of this affair today between the All Aussie affair between Alexi Popperin and Mark Polmans. A bit of an issue again with his 7pm start for the match. It went late, post-11 o'clock finish. So that means that defending women's champion, Arena Sabalenka, didn't hit her first serve until 11.41. 11.41. So this late scheduling for the Australian Open is an issue unquestionably. And I'll get Brett Phillips' thoughts on that and what the solution might be. Because there are some rules soon to be implemented by the ATP and the WTA tours, including not allowing matches to go on court after 11pm daylight time, unless approved by a supervisor. And if that's the case, they might have to move the match to an alternate court for an earlier start. What that means for ticketing and stuff, I mean, look, I, I don't know. But, I mean, the defending champion starting a first-round match at 11.41 is absurd, let's be honest. Christian O'Connell, well done. Chrissy O'Connell progressed to the second round at defeating a Chilean Christian Garin in five sets. In five sets, four hours and 21 minutes. This is a thing. This is why Grand Slam tennis is so good, five sets. It's like test match cricket. Four hours and 21 minutes. He defeated the world number 88, 3, 6, 7, 5, 4, 6, 6, 1, 7, 5. It's a test of the mental resolve and your fitness. 11 Aussies in action today across the men's and the women's draw, headlined by Alex Demonor, who opens his campaign tonight at Rod Laver Arena against former Wimbledon finalist Milon Milos Rajanic. 0457 736 736. Now, just on rugby league, we mentioned this on the program on Friday in and around Ronald Volkman. Andrew Webster wrote a really fascinating column in the Herald on the weekend. I'll just touch upon that in terms of where you reckon the blame might lie. So, now, the Warriors are pointing the fingers at the Dragon, saying due diligence, due diligence. I would have thought the issue lay with his manager, Mario Tartak, who signed a deed of release before the Dragons had registered his contract. If I'm Volkman, I'm fuming. That means now that Ronald Volkman can't return to the Warriors and now he's unwanted this year by anyone who you know, could potentially play for. So these fingers are blame pointed in all directions about it could happen, how it could happen. And the Dragons, as Webby says, believe the Warriors' medical report January 2 was misleading. It says Volkman was suffering shoulder irritation, had non-contact team training for a week, but otherwise completed all pre-Christmas training. In conclusion, it says medical-wise, he is managing chronic sinus inflammation, has been doing well with his current regime, and all of a sudden they're going to know something's not right here. It was revealed that two screws in his right shoulder had been displaced. So they go, oh, well, no, it's fine. You didn't do your due diligence. Drag is saying, well, hang on a minute. You're suggesting everything's hunky-dory. You're more than happy to get him off your books. Why were you more than happy to get him off your books? And some clubs are saying, well, the buck stops with the club that signs a player. The medical report from his previous club is a guide, not a rule. So, so caveat emptor, buy beware. Ryan Webb says, as part of the medical assessment, he participated in restricted training, which is a bit unusual because you don't generally train an unregistered player. And they give the example of Corey Allen. Well, if he was unregistered, did his knee, he's not covered by insurance. So that is a separate discussion, though. And Webster says, well, head office might want to know or ask how Volkman's management signed a deed of termination on December 24 before the contract had been registered by the NRL. Because the accepted practice is to lodge the deed of release and the new contract within minutes of each other. 
as one head of football said, if you're joining another company, why would you not make sure you'd sign the contract before you resigned? Fair question. Fair question. Now, in soccer slash football, the Socceroos, they got their Asian Cup campaign underway. Uh, most importantly, 2-0 win over India. Weren't at their best. But I tell you what, this is the side that sprang to life when Riley McGree and Geordie Boss and Bruno Fornaroli came on. I'm a massive Riley McGree fan. He just makes things happen. He's, he's their most creative player, and I like to see him get more minutes. And in the Premier League this morning, pulsating game of EPL football between my man United and Andrew Spurs. It finished 2-2. Twice Tottenham came from behind. They're the real deal, Spurs. So now that point moves Tottenham level with Arsenal, leaves them outside the top four at the moment, still on goal difference. But I'll tell you what, they'll be happy with the draw because now they remain eight points ahead of Man United, who edge up to seventh. It is wildcard round as well in the NFL. We'll keep you up to date with all of that. In fact, as we speak, uh, Packers seven. Packers seven over the Cowboys, nil, and they are in the second quarter at the... They just scored. Thank you, Chuck. Two buck, Chuck. So 13 zip now. The Packers over the Cowboys. And well done to Jason Maloney, too. Survived an enthralling 12-round battle with Mexico's Saul Sanchez to successfully defend his WBO bantamweight world title in Canada. So he had to deal with an aggressive start from Sanchez, a 33-year-old. But he's victorious once again. Now, this is what I want to get your thoughts on today. So four-day test matches, how viable are they? How would you speed up the rate of play? And sporting transitions, successful sporting transitions, and I'm not talking about the Bruce Jenner type. In light of Steve Smith opening the batting, who has made a successful transition in sport? Now, we throw the net far and wide here. So it could be a positional change. So you might say, oh, Darren Lockyer, fullback to 5'8", great example. But it could be a career change. could be a style change. So not just Lockyer, fullback to 5'8". There might be, well, Dennis Lilly, tear away quick, back injury, reconditioned action, became a deadly swing bowler. could be Colin Funky Miller, medium pace to off spinner. Wendell. Wing to second row briefly. Maybe it's OJ Simpson. Football player to movie star to murderer. Sporting transitions. 0457 736 736. Four-day test matches. Ronald Volkman, whatever you want to talk about. Jules in the chair for SEN Summer Mornings for the start of a brand new sporting week. one 300 one is that open line number.